So we are today in the studio of Jane Hughes, a Helsinki-based artist from Ireland originally. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can tell us more. So yes, I'm originally from Ireland. I've been living in Finland for the last five years. Uh, I left Ireland when I was 22 and moved to Berlin. So I was there before here. Um, I first came here to do my master's in 2009 and I did one year of it here in, in then Tyke and it was called uh, Environmental Art and the second year I did in Berlin uh, in this art and context in the University of Kunst and then I kind of came back for half a year to finish, it was like 2012 and then I moved back to Berlin. So it's kind of a little bit tricky, I think, well, you did it, to kind of stay after your master's, like to kind of figure out how to navigate Helsinki. Mm. So I think a lot of people might return to where they were before. And I was still really like living in Berlin. And um, yeah, so then I kind of moved uh, here in 2018, the end of 2017. So I've been here now like five years. And yeah, I did my bachelor's in Ireland. Uh, went straight from secondary school as a 18 year old into the National College of Art and Design and uh, never looked back. That was it. Then went into the painting department in NCAD in Dublin and a few months after graduation moved to Berlin and tried to carve out. How did you choose path. Berlin to go to go there? I did an Erasmus exchange in the third year of art college in Dublin to Aki in the Netherlands in Inchkede, which was really inspiring and kind of a totally different atmosphere to being in the kind of capital city and sort of the the sort of most maybe famous art school in Ireland at the time and uh, it was like more the low-key kind of art school a little bit more in the countryside compared to like Amsterdam or something like it was more it's a lot more relaxed in a way kind of felt a lot more freer and even though it was a small town, it felt very active and there was like bunkers that was taken over by artists where they had film screenings. The church did experimental sound performances. So it was like very, very interesting place. And there, me and uh, my friend who's also in art college with me in Dublin, we, Rob, we uh, hitchhiked to Berlin and I was just like, wow, this place is amazing. And the the driver, she was telling, she was a dancer and a performer. and. I mean, her 50s and she was telling us all sorts of like the best places to go and things to discover and oh you go to this Lassel's Freud design and that's a great place and you know oh there's this bar and whatever and we just got there it was snowy it was winter but it was just uh, I don't know I, I just really like this kind of low-key atmosphere that it had it just appealed to me so then a year later we came with the art college in Dublin as a class trip and see all the exhibitions and things like that and then I was like okay next time I come I want to live here I don't want to I don't wanna have to leave again and that was that then I went six months after art school I didn't know anybody in Berlin and just uh, landed I had gotten a contact from a friend of a friend from a Finnish artist who'd done a residency I think in Temple Bar Galleries ended up getting a sublet then from uh, Freya Backman who's a Finnish artist and met her kind of basically when I arrived and uh, luckily had this uh, nice place to live for, for two months and then I, I found another flat share and yeah, settled. Did a gallery, did an internship in a gallery for a few months and 
tried my best to learn German and yeah and how did you chose afterwards to move to Helsinki if you were so in love with Berlin it was a little bit uh, impulsive decision maybe I was just looking around for masters that would be in English because uh, I thought doing a academic thesis and masters in second language would be fairly challenging especially in German um, so I found this environmental art just from searching on the internet and uh, I applied to Helsinki and then got accepted to Tyke when it was then and I was in a cafe uh, this tea house that some friends had set up and I'd helped out a bit uh, talking about it and I was like okay should I go should I not go never been to Helsinki don't really know anything about the program don't know anyone there uh, which is much like how I ended up in Berlin and somehow, I don't know, like a cat landed on my feet. But uh, yeah, then I also overheard uh, a Finnish person overheard me and she came over and she's like, sure, go for it. I, I study there. It's great. Like, you know, there's loads of uh, things like opportunities and good facilities and it's totally worth it. So I was like, OK, fine, off I go. And uh, yeah, it was I, like I'm still here now, but uh, I did go back and forth a lot. Um, but it was definitely like a, a big contrast to Berlin as well as a city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot less people here to begin with. And yeah, and it's a lot cleaner and uh, <laughs> they had a lot more money and equipment. There was just rooms full of like Apple computers and in Berlin and UDK, they just don't have the same resources. So it was maybe like one computer that you had to book and it was like waiting weeks and here you have like such high end equipment that you can mm. borrow. and dedicated staff for that and I think it's just a yeah there's more resources in that way um, but it's a very small um, my my course was only for students in environmental art because uh, the economic crash and it was meant to be seven but some people couldn't couldn't come in the end um, but it was kind of joined with the fine art department then um, in Tyke so we had some of our courses together which was interesting so it was a little bit this kind of mix then from sort of fine art and environmental art. How did you choose environmental art? I kind of wanted a bit more um, op like working with other people, working with other artists, kind of this uh, collective creativity and doing kind of more group work rather than being on my own in the studio or organizing things. Like I worked in a lot of collectives in Berlin where we organized exhibitions, we hosted artist talks or we ran a gallery or you know, did group evenings where we cook and show films and things like this, but I wanted to like be in the making process with, with other people. And uh, the environmental art kind of advertised itself as sort of a fusion between kind of public art and urban design and very open uh, masters that seem to kind of maybe collect That's interesting people. because when, it, when you say environmental art, I somehow think about sustainability and yeah, 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 yeah. Ecology so, or something. Yeah, and I, I guess I thought there would have been more of that on the course, but in the end, I think it was kind of, that was there in some ways. Like we went to Kilpisjarvi Biological Art Station on a workshop. Kilpisjarvi is just in the, one of the most northern points of Finland, crossing over with Sweden and Norway. And that was amazing. I was there one summer uh, on a road trip. We went ah, with, with okay. my partner and we were there in the like end of July. Yeah, it was 
our first time camping together. Okay. We had uh, just a tent and a car, and it was seven degrees, rainy, cold. Oh, really? It was so cold. Oh. <laughs> yes, and then it turned out that uh, because he didn't have a sleeping bag, and uh, I was like, ah, don't worry, I have two sleeping bags, we're going to be fine. So we go there, and then he takes the sleeping bag, and <laughs> he couldn't even fit in it. No. <laughs> Until here, and then no more. <laughs> because I guess um, it was more fit to my size than yeah. his. <laughs> anyway, Kilpisjärvi, that's what r rings in my mind. Okay, oh dear. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> because we went in early May, and there was snow on Mount Sana, but there was it was about 12 degrees and sunny, and I was like cycling to the local town, and it was like hot. But the lake was frozen and this like older Finnish woman took us into the sauna and then she's like, now you have to go into the into the frozen lake and now you have to go in a second time and then you get this, you know, you just get so alert. And then it was so beautiful, this frozen lake, the Mount Sana, and we hiked up Mount Sana and then there was this uh, local guy who runs the local Sally Bandy club, this like ice kind of, this indoor hockey. And he runs up the mountain every day. It takes him two hours. And he's just like, he was kind of jogging as we were all like slowly hiking, kind of falling in the snow. And he was so energetic and he was so excited that this kind of international group was hiking up the mountain uh, and visiting. He invited us to come to a Sally Bandy club. And uh, it was such a beautiful, surreal place. So and there was uh, researchers who were researching uh, lemmings from uh, University of Helsinki. So there was biologists there at the same time, but there wasn't necessarily maybe a coordinated program with them. So it was very kind of loose, maybe how you, what direction you took. So mm. it was th there wasn't really specific courses in sustainability or ecological practice, but there was sort of environmental art uh, history, kind of looking how people might do guerrilla gardening or sort mm. of different kind of actions or history of land art, you know, from the, and the happenings from the 50s and 60s and this kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, and you're still doing some, how, some sort of like the, these community activities with the Helsinki Art Walk, for example. Yeah, yeah. So um, a friend of mine recommended me for that job when uh, I first arrived. Uh, she does some guiding and they asked her and then she was like, oh, well, I, I, don't have time at the moment maybe you would be interested and I was like yeah sure that sounds nice and uh, yeah I went and met Timo from Moo and um, I've been doing it for five years I, and I really I really enjoy it it's a nice way to see a lot of exhibitions and to meet a lot of artists and kind of get an overview of what's what's happening and and to go a bit deeper because I think you might go around and see some shows but now like because of this and I really read every artist statement every press release I might check their website you know and it's kind of interesting to see all the various approaches to you know some people might write just a poem for their press release and they might not have a website so then it's kind of like okay what do I how do I talk about an artist that I don't I can't really find very much concrete detail on them or yeah it's, it's like a it's interesting as an artist to do it, to see these kind of different approaches people have and how you can represent them to a, an audience, a mixed audience. Um, yeah, and also then very inspiring as well, how professional people are like doing, um, because a lot of the artist run spaces, you know, you do a lot of your own writing and your own mm. uh, presentation. presentation and things like this, you know, there's not, um, uh, you know, somebody writing the press release for you. Um, yeah, so it's it's 
and you know the galleries are great you know it's also like brilliant that the galleries exist that there's artist run galleries and commercial galleries and they're all contributing to the art field and uh, and it's great that they organize this service because it's totally free for the for the general public and it's a way I think to make it more accessible and also often the artists come along as well like they they might be present like you were in the gallery if they yes, have time. Th that's how we met uh, I had this uh, screening of my video in forum box and then you came to to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm giving the favor back now. Yeah, asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you decide to become an artist in the first place? Um, I don't know. I guess it's also like, yeah, d do you make a conscious decision? I, I guess. Or did you just flow into it? Yeah, I guess when I was a child, I really, you know, I was. I have memories of being around three or four and just like playing around with paints and throwing like my mum let me like go wild with the garden furniture like some old white plastic table so I was like pouring paint all over them and painting them like the page quickly became too limiting or something so I was really right let's make concoctions and pour them everywhere so in that way I think if I found it all always quite like you know enjoyable as a kid even though neither like my mum wasn't really you know into painting or drawing herself my dad did some life drawing lessons, so he was showing me a little bit. So I think I had a little bit of that interest, like a lot of kids do, like, I'm going to be an artist when you're like four or five. But I think then when I was a little bit like around 12 or 13, I was like, oh, maybe I should be an accountant because like my brothers were maybe a bit older than me and they were going that direction. So I was just like, oh, yeah, that is that the responsible thing to do? Uh, but I, I quickly lost that notion. and. Uh, yeah, I think when I was around 16 or something, then I, I did this portfolio course in, in Dunleary Art College in Dublin for two weeks in the summer. And then it was just really like, ah, OK, this makes sense. Because I think I've always been interested in lots of different things, uh, like history and English and literature. And I even I did chemistry in school as well, which I also really liked, and I'm like mixing all the elements. and. I mean, with the paint, it's a little bit of yeah. a chemistry. Yeah, for sure, well. for sure, for sure. And I think when you're interested in a lot of things, I think people from the outside don't realize that like ma being an artist isn't just, you know, drawing what you see or painting what you see. It's it's trying to kind of encompass or for some people, at least it can be trying to encompass a lot of like philosophy and psychology and emotion into into this kind of form in its very kind of like concrete and abstract way, you know, that you want mm. to kind of add so many elements from so many aspects of life. So I think if you're like, I don't know, because I'm not an engineer, but if you're an engineer, maybe you have a certain kind of parameters that you work within. Whereas I think if you're a writer or an artist or musician, those parameters are really wide. And a lot of it's kind of constantly kind of editing out uh, and trying to find kind of more interesting things. And I think when you're kind of beginning, you maybe start with the kind of like, OK, identity and who am I? And like a lot of students kind of start kind of with with that, I think, and then you're kind of like, okay, what's my really niches as you dig deeper and deeper? Mm. And what kind of things kind of make you curious? And, you know, like, I get excited by textures and uh, crumbling buildings and reading strange history stories. And yeah. What are you working on right now? Uh, what am I working on right now? So I just had a solo show in, in TM Gallery, the Painters Union Gallery in Helsinki. And so a lot of my energies went into that for the last year and a half or so. 
and especially the kind of six months prior really intensive painting so now I feel like uh, I'm kind of stepping back a little bit and uh, kind of recuperating a little bit my energies and, and figuring out my my next steps a little bit and what elements were working and what were what like needs more work and what needs uh, what what angles will I really try and develop uh, and I've just been doing sort of some applications and seeing what directions and uh, what locations maybe I might do some exhibitions in in the future and we've been doing some group shows together here in the studios so we just had one in Longa in February and now we have one right now in Asbestos Art Space which has been nice to work as a, a group and there's always a a lot of work that goes into organizing those kind of shows as well and yeah a few things coming up in the summer uh virila kessa the summer exhibition uh, in near salo uh, opens in 17th of june to the end of august i'll have maybe four or five paintings in that as uh, 35 artists it's a beautiful old manor house this virila i think it's like some old ponies and buffaloes and uh, golf course nearby so it's a nice kind of like quiet area and yeah I think it's worth a visit I think a lot of people end up going through Salo on so you go to Salo and then it's like a 10 minutes from Salo or five minutes even I think it's really near and they probably have some local buses or something if you don't have a car yeah that's true I'm sure there is a bus yeah that's Must true be. yeah hmm. um, I have to check but yeah, and then uh, in Karina, uh, not too far from there as well, uh, there's uh, Kuziton Cartano. It's also an art manor house. I'm going to be in a, have two paintings in a exhibition there in August called uh, Stop the War. So it's a kind of war themed art works. We'll what? see what else comes up. I've applied for a few things and yeah, I need to get back into the making phase slowly. Um, you have something interesting there. Yeah, so okay, sorry, the other, so okay, with the making phase of the works then, so one of the directions I think I will pursue from the recent works where I've been kind of focusing on textures and a lot influenced by, um, in 2021, the summer I had this residency in Arsena Art Centre in this Irish speaking island called Inishore or Inishir in English part of the Aran Islands, really small island, all uh, limestone slabs, just the textures. Here's some seaweed from I collected there. So I ended up getting very interested in all the rubbery, slimy seaweed that was washed up amidst the crackly limestone uh, black rocks. And I had initially thought I would work from some kind of old photos or old stories from the island, but this like visceralness of having these materials in front of you and there was no access to the library I think it was closed for the summer and there's just nothing else there there's not even there's not like secondhand bookshops to there's nothing on the island basically there's like one chip van and a beach and like one or two pubs and so there's not not very much there so then it was really kind of becoming one with the landscape and I was collecting so this kind of textures is one element I want to pursue and, and maybe making some kind of large wall installation where you can touch the artworks and another side project is that I've been collecting these sins for two years which I just started in Gallery Ars Libra in Copio where I had a show in May 21. This is not a sin this looks like a bird box. Yeah so <laughs> this was my kind of attempt to make a little confession box that you could put the sin in here 
on colored paper. Uh, there was a few different prototypes for different spaces. And I, so and then I tried printing the sins on, that I collected on different materials. So you on have wood. stalked people on the internet for hours and hours. There you go. Is that a sin? <laughs> well, that's what some people write. Well, in the end, I think maybe sin isn't probably the best word to use. I think also it became quite open, like transgressions or, you know, like people just kind of confided things, I guess, that they wanted mm. to get off their chest. Um, this one's in Finnish, which I won't uh, attempt to... It's pretty long. ...pronounce, but it was also an attempt to, like, print. I think this was sort of... The gist of this one was that I claim to be e to have an ecological consciousness, but yet I consume and consume. So quite a few were about consumption and uh, flying or various things. So that was the initial starting point for this was reading about the 17th century collection of sins by this French priest for the forgetful sinner. So there was a book. So before you went into confession, you could check this book in case you didn't know what to confess. Forgetful sinner. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a pretty hilarious uh, idea. And then in Ireland, it's been a pretty Catholic country. We had to go to confession as a kid. You get confirmed. Oh, yeah, because all, all this 90% of the schools in Ireland are uh, Catholic. So even if your family isn't Catholic, you have to go to a Catholic school, basically, kind of. Like there's one, it's changing slowly now. They have like Educate Together. But in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was basically a boys school, a girls school, and then a community college, which was maybe more orientated that you would go into a trade. So if you wanted your son or daughter to go into uh, university, you would probably send them to like St. Mary's or St. Joseph's. So you went to a girls school? I went to a girls school, oh. yeah. <laughs> I know, shocking. <laughs> but it's still quite normal even, or that now it's also kind of normal that they would be separated and then like there'll be a girls part of the school and the boys and then they might be allowed mix at break time but they do the classes separate that's still quite common wow i mean th my my viewpoint is from this post-socialistic uh, country yeah. which everything is equally mixed and uh, very very secular yeah so we yeah had, yeah we had none of this kind of thing yeah. at all i think personally i think it's i think it's totally crazy and i <laughs> i think the schools should be mixed but uh, still some people still feel like you know I think there's a I guess people have been educated that way and they mm. think okay maybe it's uh, good to educate my children that way or whatever I think that's uh, so it's a very um, hard to let go of the idea and I think it's also uh, difficult for parents who want to raise their children secularly uh, because like I've you know, two friends who are like artists and musician and they don't, they're not religious at all. And their daughter's like, please, can I do my Holy Communion? Because they get presents and they get money and they get to wear a dress. She's like, I am religious. I am. She's seven and she wants the presents and the money. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, of course, this is like, you know, it seems then, you know, like uh, she's missing out. Yeah, they have the communion thing here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or con or con confirmation. Yeah. Oh, is it a different thing? Yeah, okay. it's yeah, I'm completely thing, literate in that domain. Yeah, yeah, it's it's no big deal. Yeah, it's just another part of the rituals. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Also, Bulgaria is Orthodox, so we we don't have this at all. Like oh, yeah. this confirmation. But there is really. confession, isn't there, in the Orthodox? Not like in the Catholic. There's no booth that you go to to confess. Yeah, you can you can just talk with the priest if you want to, okay. but it's not a mandatory thing that you go and confess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I somehow just got found it interesting. Yeah, and like, I, I, the around the same 
time, and I think that was also quite a big influence, was this mother and baby report was all over the Irish news and it was coming out. Right, the kind of influence of shame in Irish society that uh, the Magdalene Homes, um, if you don't know what they are, that was these laundry homes where women who were unwed and pregnant were forced to go to, to have the baby, and they were run, they were funded by the state, but they were run by religious institutions. So they were run often by nuns, and usually the women were treated really badly, and the children and the babies were treated really badly. So a lot of babies died of malnutrition because they were seen as babies of sin. And the women were treated as sinners and, you know, like, as less than because they were unwed and they, they got pregnant. It didn't matter what the circumstances of that pregnancy was. And so the, uh, often against their will, they were placed in these homes and some people were never left. They were, because if a relative didn't come and take them out, they might not never leave. And people were hugely traumatized, of course, as well. Like their babies were taken away from them. They weren't allowed to hold them. They didn't know they where they went. There were some of them were sold to the state. So there was a lot of things were coming up about all the kind of corruption and secrecy and how, you know, it was easy to blame the priest and the church, but also the community allowed it to happen too. And it was often also the parents or, you know, so it was a kind of whole whole country's guilt basically of how how did it happen and I think it's mm. always like you know it's easy to point the finger at like you know one evil figure or like you know everyone's like oh Trump you know when the Trump elections but then again it's like who voted him in. Do you have some specific routines or actions that you do when you come to work to the studio like how do you get into the process? Um, that's a good question. Um, I generally don't have a coffee at home in the morning. I have my porridge and green tea. And then I, from April to October, I cycle to the studio. So it's about 12K, which is really good for my mental space and health. And physical shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that really kind of helps, I think, just having that kind of cycle to just like, I don't know, open up your oxygen levels. And then when I get to the studio, I reward myself with a coffee and uh, I either, like if I had the, when I had the exhibition coming up and I really need to get into the visual space, I tried to do a lot of blind drawings. So I tried to do like really short drawings for the first like 30 minutes and even time them so they're like 20 seconds. And if I was, I was working from a lot of photographs from rock pools from the West Coast and I was just doing really, really fast sketches of them and, and faster and faster so they were getting more and more abstract. So I did that for a few weeks just to have a pile of images to break any connection too much to the photo and to make them more surreal and more like less brain work, you know, just more like instinct and kind of uh, because I, I guess you can relate as an artist, you know, your head sometimes just gets in the way if you overthink of like, okay, should it be this way? Should it be that way? There's endless options to paralyze you from making. There's always yep. like so much ways to second guess what you do and and I, I was running out of time, I only a couple of months before the show and I definitely needed to produce. Well, that's a very interesting exercise to, to do. Yeah, and it, it, it works, I must say, if you don't like, because there's so much of uh, this invisible work, which I guess a lot of artists know, but maybe people outside the artist profession might know that you know, so much is writing, you know, writing proposals, writing funding applications. But even when you have the funding applications, you still need the, or have funding, you still need to have places to show. So you're still proposing for exhibitions mm. and one exhibition will fly by and then you need to do it again. So there's like, it's it's kind of uh, a constant uh, part of being an artist and it's uh, 
and then there's so many things also to, to that kind of like there's like candy ooh a residency in Paris Paris or ooh a residency in Iceland and ooh to do an exhibition there would be nice so there's a lot of things that kind of distract you from the actual making making very easily mm. or at least for me um, so that's one of the ways I think if I just start straight away I'm like watercolor pencils there I have watercolors and I have some black inks and I have like m nice graphic design markers and I just do a lot of sketches sometimes I just even use the mirror and just do blind drawings and I always think they're kind of you know fun to do or even then I'll just do some portraits kind of just to quickly kind of get my eye and hand in and then I try to start painting by at least 10.30 or 11 so that I kind of get two hours of painting in and then generally here in the studios we have a lunch break together at one which is a kind of a really nice sort of col like collective kind of uh, unwind. pause. Yeah, yeah, unwind because I think if I'm when no one else is here I'll have a 10 minute lunch at my laptop checking some things. It'll be really quick. But if other people are here and then it's like, oh, okay, what are you doing? Oh, how was your weekend? Oh, did you see that show? Oh, okay, that's coming up. And you just kind of get more ideas or hear about what other people are doing or what shows are on and so it's a really I think that's one of the best things about the Grey Garden Studios is just having this lunch break together because it's like a little bit of socialness but not too much it's not distracting it doesn't take too much of your energy away in mm. that sense as if I went out every night you know if I went to made some dates every evening and then coffee break and then uh, back here and maybe I work from two till six maybe seven if it's like some kind of deadline or or something like but I don't rarely work later than nine or something like that I'm not really a nighttime worker I'd rather be here early mm. than than working tonight like Marlou's is like more the comes around like 12 and is more working in the evenings and yeah yeah um so in that sense I prefer to be more like early I'd like to be here at nine every day but uh, it doesn't always happen <laughs> but, yeah. well yeah and you need some time to wake up and come. Yeah, well, and then also like, you know, you probably heard other people say that, you know, you kind of have like four good hours for any task where your brain is sharp. So I think mm. it's the same for painting for me. So I feel like, you know, from 11 to one and then maybe two till four. And then like, I'm just, my brain is tired. It's not gonna make good decisions anymore or my mm. hands are like that connection. So even if I'm writing a text or something, I think like four hours is like, then you need to do something that's just like whatever cleaning brushes or, whatever some kind of more mundane task that's not so yeah yeah the, 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 there's a limit to our decision making per day yeah and yeah then once you get that limit you just oh I can't decide anymore yeah and I think when you're creating every single thing is a decision like every move you make mm. on a canvas or every like you know photograph you take or drawing you know you're making constant decisions so it's uh yeah it's it's also a lot of fun and there's like a lot of you know it can have momentum and other days it can be uh, a bit more tiring so it's a you know, mm. toss up. Do you involve somehow your friends in your work? Yeah, I think in the, that's also something, uh, the, with this studios and also in Berlin, it was really nice, um, is that then you have like people around, especially here, like in Berlin, uh, we were in this Kunstsatellit and we were Marcus and Orly and Pascal. We were like five artists all together. So our timetables were often very different, um, but, yeah, my friend Elise would often, when she arrived, she'd just come in, peek her head into my studio. She'd see what I'd been doing the next day and she'd be just like, oh yeah, I like that. Mm, I'm not sure about that one. Mm, mm, yeah, no, that one's working. And then she'd pop off. And part of me was sometimes a bit like, hmm, they're not finished. But then 
when I was uh, I was on this five months in Vaza on my own, I was like, I really missed her like interaction because you're so vi- like you have that kind of dialogue. I mean, it makes you think. Yeah, it makes you think, and then it's like, okay, why if if somebody doesn't like something at a certain stage, but you feel attached to it, then I think you you just haven't communicated what you want, or you're not far enough because you maybe mm. see where it's going, but they don't see it yet. So it's kind of like you're protective over something that hasn't developed. Um, so it's kind of like I think that feedback is is interesting. And here, there's nobody kind of. I think it's le- less that people would just open the door and come in and go, "This isn't this," but uh, more I would invite people come in, or it's like I would do something. I'm like, "Do you want to see? I just finished this," and then like Marlou Sorzar or Carla would come in, or if I come in the morning, Carla just had a show in Hivinka and she was just like, do you have a second? And I would go and look and she's like, okay, which ones? So a lot of also about choosing which work maybe for a show or for mm. a portfolio or for a proposal. And that's really helpful because also, you know, people working with sound, people working with painting, with theater, with film. So they all kind of have they a little have a bit different, different perspective. perspective. Yeah, mm. That for me is like a, a total blessing. And I, I really recommend being in a, a studio and there's so many of us here that there's always someone around. What are the main themes in your work? Ooh, um, I had a friend from Ireland, Paula um, Barrett, also a really interesting artist. Who we did our we we started art college together in our BA in the same group back in 2002. She has seen all my like she hasn't seen all my shows because we've been in different countries. She's still based in Ireland, but she's like you know been one of the people I've been in touch with a lot as well as another friend Holly and Ashling. But so she was here recently and I was just showing her around and she was like, oh, okay, it's interesting to see how that goes back to like very different work you did before. And yeah, and she kind of, she wrote like a nice little kind of text for me of like how she sees connections in it. Like when I was, the when I finished my BA, well, I don't know where that is, but I had, I made a photo book. So I, like, even though I was in the painting department, my I ended up choosing my tutor to be Chris McGuire, who's a documentary photographer. And He was just so inspiring because he was working with the neighborhood and there's like these notorious flats and he's from the area. And so I was really kind of interested in portraitures. That's why I also think this is so nice, this kind of project of kind of talking to people and finding out what they're about and like from different walks of life. And okay, this happens to be artists. But so I wanted to go around and I took photographs of, of people in the area and in workplaces and things like this. and. Uh, And then I moved to Berlin and I was like, okay, actually, I don't know if I want to take more photos of people. And I felt it's very draining. It's very exhausting to go up to people on the street and say, can I take your photo or in a, in a shop? So it kind of made me kind of think again. And then eventually I got very inspired by the architecture. And so I think this kind of crumbling old houses has kind of been in my work for the last maybe 15 years in a way. And I grew up in a house in the countryside that was crumbling. Like my parents bought it in the 80s when there was a crash in Ireland and it was just this big old country house that was no heating and just falling down and they had like kind of big plans to renovate it. But I think that just in the end they had to sell it when I was 16. But it was a very uh, uh, aesthetic place because, you know, like mm. a very old, old house built in the 1600s. So it had a lot of like creaky floorboards and dead trees and lots of nooks and crannies and big old barns and a lot of things to kind of uh, ignite your imagination as a child and uh, terrify you too with like ghost stories. So it was like an old Jesuit priest who came and told us ghost stories and haunting old buildings. And I think Berlin has that as well. And you see the bullet holes from World War II and missing buildings in between old Altbau 
and it has a lot of this rich history in the textures. But Helsinki doesn't have that. Helsinki doesn't have it as much, no, but you have it in like the old wooden houses a little bit. But I think it's something, yeah, it doesn't have it as much, it's true. But I did find it in some of these old like villas that have been decaying because there's a lot of old countryside houses here as well that have just been sort of abandoned and wooden houses are left to rot. And But maybe it's more this icy landscapes, I think, has a similar, a similar kind of mysteriousness, you know, like this very, very kind of harsh that kind of exists here in winter or also this twilight time in um, in summer in midsummer I think also has like a kind of ghostly otherworldly feel compared to other places in Europe I don't know would you agree coming uh, definitely the 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 big extremes of the it, like non-stop light and then the other extreme of the non-stop dark yeah it's it's something unique here it's definitely not south of here it's not like that I think the light, you know, this kind of purpley, mm. midnighty blue, like where the, like even now at 10 o'clock, it's kind of a very faint, it's not dark anymore. Mm. And then I think in midsummer, it's just this very like strange blues in the sky that I feel are very kind of enchanting and have this kind of... I think that's also because the, the sky seems very low here because uh, I guess the angle that the, the sun rays come, yeah. it's a bit different. Yeah. And, and then that creates a little bit of a different atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, th that kind of color palettes, I think, from here are quite uh, inspiring. And then, yeah, I think there's still like this kind of textures as well. Like, I think it's so the forest as well. Like, in 215 to 14, I was doing all these black and white drawings in the forest. And I was putting like a hunting camera in the forest and taking like 6,000 pictures every night. And so I have like, I don't know, 60 or 70 drawings this size that are all this like black and white from the forest at night. And I go, go and get the camera and then I choose some stills to, to draw from. And I did it in Sweden from May to June. And then in outside Kovala in Razi, a residency that was there for a few years. And uh, run by some friends and then I did it there from November to January so I got these kind of two like equinox times of this extreme darkness and, and brightness and then uh, all the photos that I had uh, crashed on my broken hard drive but I had the drawings so I think that also made me really want to paint more and I'd been doing these kind of installations mm -hmm. and this kind of physical objects so I think this kind of textures are one of the themes but also maybe a ghostliness and then otherworldliness and whether it's like space or like the moon or like under the water or um, the land but I think they're sort of embedded in human stories as well so that's like well I was looking at the social history in these and these books and I've always interested in sort of human psychology and the way the world works and how people have evolved and how beliefs have evolved and so I think I was trying to approach that by using kind of found photographs and little snippets of stories and putting them all together to make these kind of abstract narratives and now I'm trying to do it with textures in paint instead mm -hmm. of actual figures but I think I might try to like combine both maybe the next time I don't know we'll have to see what happens. I was sort of reconnecting a little bit with these kind of re remote spaces which I've always found kind of interesting like in, in 2009 I did a, my first artist residency in Iceland and this kind of the Iceland landscape is so surreal for me I find it very 
inviting and strange. And then in yeah, then I went to Kilpusiarvi, I think also in Mount Sana and these areas. And I think being in this residency in two twenty one in, in Inishir, I think I got kind of reconnected with that interest of these sort of very severe and unusual landscapes. And uh, I was reading a little bit about uh, this trip they made to space, uh, William Shatner and some of these celebrities. And instead of feeling um, elated and delighted, you know, this amazing uh, experience of being in space, that he felt a deep sense of grief for planet Earth, that it's so small and so fragile and it's days are kind of numbered or the human species days are sort of numbered and I I definitely relate to that um, feeling a bit that uh, it might be a little bit too late I don't know that's maybe a bit uh, dark to say but that there's maybe to treasure these kind of strange locations that are left and I read this really fascinating book called Slime, How Algae Might Save the World, which is also more optimistic of how we can use algae for fuel, algae to uh, feed fish in many ways. It could be uh, a great source of fuel, but uh, who knows if these things will happen. Yeah, and I think color is always a big element in my work and trying to find unusual color palettes that sort of echo compositions or strange combinations and trying to get some kind of combination between things that are really shiny or glossy and then kind of dry and cracked out and also like I guess like most artists it's never really one specific thing it's many so I think you can also see them as very psychological spaces too but this little pink one up there is called uh, melting ice cream caps yeah so I I don't know for me it's like a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek um, title. That was in an exhibition in this Porvo in this Vanha capitalized tallow with a, a little light under it. So I was crystallizing seaweed and I had this also this fish tank with seaweed in it with the text of the sins also in there kind of decomposing. I tried to do some experiments with crystallizing the seaweed in large tanks and they, they unfortunately went moldy after a few months. So these are kind of this is my uh, one of my kind of so I meant with the images of this kind of surreal colors mm, and kind of some moon rocks. This is so I've still been collecting the old photographs, but maybe just not focusing on uh, people. Like I love, I love all the colors in this, like the textures and those stones. Um, and the colors of the seaweed was so amazing. Mm. And we have these kind of stalagmites and stalactites in the burn region in Ireland. So I visited them as well when I was there. And then I kind of make like, these are all quite messy. But I did a lot of like, you know, quick sketches and then sort of partnered them up in very uh, various ways. So it might look nothing really like the original photo, but it was like that kind of neon green moss was very nice. And then there was a slight peachy pink colors in here and then a very kind of 
purpley white greys. So then I might just choose to exaggerate things. But for me, they also might become like, you know, strange kind of creatures rather than inanimate. Are these kind of things that almost become nice kind of stains. These bubbly textures, I think, are really nice. So yeah, these are all sort of part of those kind of quick um, sketches, and then I'd like make notes. Maybe okay, this is this. I'll scale this up to be whatever, 100 by 120 centimeters. The last bug left alive. Brainstorming some titles. It's um, one that didn't get finished. It's also one that didn't get finished. And sometimes things just don't work. You know, it doesn't matter how nice the image was, you just can't make it look right in a sketch, or maybe it looks nice at this scale, and then you scale it up and it doesn't work. There was such lovely kind of seas of this kind of orangey pink moss and things. I think I just found a bunch of this paper and I was like, okay. I don't know, I kind of like the grids. Like there's a nice young chiasma at the moment where he has like this coloring pencil, um, kind of modernist, uh, just drawings. It's really nice, it's a really nice show. Um, I especially like these little grid drawings. This sketchbook, I guess, is... <laughs> there's a sheep at the beginning. Sometimes I make a lot of just colour notes if I make a nice colour that I like. Bits and bobs. They're just kind of quick things to get, get started. Yeah, and I often just print everything out quite big as well, just so I can see some of the details. And I think also this kind of like porous and like concrete, like these kind of solid objects sort of like that sort of block you in a way from, and then there's these kind of watery elements or something that you can like, you know, put your arm into the lake or something, you know, like there's like, mm. I think that's also, I find fascinating that there's certain surfaces that you can't like go through. And then there's others that have some kind of, there's something underneath, like in both like a metaphorical level mm. and like a, uh, like an actual level or like with people, like sometimes it's easier to get like quite deep quickly with people and sometimes it stays in a certain kind of level and that's like mm, like yeah. these kind of boundaries that are like, or also in like cities or spaces. Da, da, da. I was going to ask you if you go to exhibitions often, but I guess with the Helsinki Art Walk it's just inevitable. Yeah, <laughs> I do go to exhibitions a lot with the Helsinki Art Walk for sure. And, and then also just the uh, Helsinki art scene is quite small, so I feel like a lot of Friends uh, are very active, so it's also really nice to see their work and go to those shows. And yeah, I think there's just a lot to see. So, and I've, you know, friends working in a lot of various museums as well. It's often a, a side job for artists. So they're like, oh yeah, there's a great show in Tide Alley, come and see it. And so there's a, yeah, I definitely go to see a lot. I think it, most, most weeks, I think there's some opening I would go to. This week there's a lot of openings uh, and most weekends I'm either doing the art walk or then I will usually go and check some museums as well. What are your favourite places? Ooh, I think architecturally Forum Box I think is one of the most beautiful gallery spaces because it's also this lovely old factory. It has the space. textures that yeah, you see. Yeah. yeah and the high ceiling and yeah I think it's very charming space. And of course the people there are super nice. There's so many, there's like a, a lot of great galleries. Amma Gallery has always got great paintings and lots of interesting work. Uh, I was in Contemporary, Anhava, well, Forest Bloom, there's always the big contenders, but also like Huto, Gallery Huto, I think it's brilliant and it's a really nice 
and it's like this artist run, like there's over a hundred artists, it's a really big community. Also like Forum Box, uh, Kota Space, I think it's really good shows in Kalasatma. And it's nice they're there for two months. Um, or Kota Tidali and also Porvo I think is really nice spaces like this Van Ha Kapalais in Talo. Me and two friends did a show there in 2021. Uh, it's in the old part of Porvo. I think it's not as kind of well known as uh, Porvo Tidahali, but it's also run by the city and it's a... Uh, I've never been to Porvo yet. Oh really? It's really... Uh, it's got a lot of... <laughs> I, I've been wanting to go, but somehow yeah. I, I never end up actually going. Okay, yeah, no, it's yeah. nice for sure. Yeah. And yeah, and this asbestos art space is actually now in a really like, nice connect, uh, location in Krunenhaka. Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of galleries and there's like all the artists associations. This TM gallery, of course, is really, really great. And there's, there's Painters nice Union. Painters Union, yeah. And Gallery G, Hippolyte, Sculptor. Like, I think there's a great scene. And then, you know, you have great organizations like Publix kind of how mm. that have a shape that are kind of mapping out the finished scene as well, which is great. So I think, yeah, I think there's yeah. a lot happening here. There's also enough as well because I before I was in Berlin and there's like you know thou like so you many you can never grasp probably the no yeah the whole, the whole scene there. yeah it becomes a marathon then when you want to try and check out even just one one part of the city um maybe a few words about the studio because you have a lovely studio okay but my studio in particular not the collective or yeah I mean the whole collective is great yeah but also your your studio is pretty spacious hmm we were really lucky like well, before we had the space in Itapasala and it was mm. Helsinki city offices and they had just left a lot of the furniture. They left a lot of lovely old shelves like this wooden shelf here, this giant table <laughs> here, uh, these Lundia shelves they had left. Um, I, my lovely partner Tafani built these lovely canvas racks for me very kindly and also this on wheels canvas rack there. And um, we also built these walls here because it was brick behind it. So it's mm. very hard to kind of drill in so that I have some, I can easily, you know, drill in holes to hang paintings at different levels. <laughs> My lights kind of need to be fixed a bit, but they're daylight tubes there. So it's even a nice painting table uh, also made by Taffany for me, which is uh, very kind. Sofa also from Helsinki City, uh, from their last space. So it's always, I think, important if you can fit one in to have some relaxing space in your studio. Especially if you kind of, if you like, you know, if you're working another job in the morning or something and then you kind of need a little power nap before you get into art making or, you know, it can happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's your favorite kind of element in the studio? What do you like about it most? Um, I am a kind of, I don't know why, but I've become a kind of storage nerd. So I do really like having all these shelves and I would like to have, I, don't, I kind of like to have the same size box that I could label. And I, I would like to have higher ceilings so I could have two racks. In the last space I could have two racks. So I kind of like to have a very uh, well archived space because I think the longer you're making, stuff the, the more kind of a, a clear archive you need uh, i'd say your works are very well situated it's just like now i have little green tabs on things that are unfinished so i can find them a little bit easier and i've kind of marked them into a series but uh there's still a, a lot of chaos beneath the surface but that's <laughs> uh, inevitable i guess 
And I have kind of like a nice little reading corner over there. Would you or have you shared your space with somebody else? I did, uh, well, I did in, in Berlin for the first year in this uh, Shara Act, uh, which is a really fun house project space, a kind of alternative space in Wedding, which is still going strong. Um, I shared it with Florian Solsheims, a graphic designer who was a pleasure to share a studio with because he was very neat and he just worked on his uh, laptop and he brought lovely biscuits and he was very encouraging, a uh, very supportive friend. So that was a very nice experience. And it was super cheap, it was 60 euro. And we had this beautiful old Altbau uh, building with a balcony. Goodness. Coal heating though, so not very warm. So I spent a lot of time uh, with the uh, people who lived there having coffee and talking about Marxist uh, philosophy because it was a very uh, political space, which was very interesting. And then the next studio I shared with a painter who was doing a large figurative painting and it was a time when I was doing maybe these more small kind of collages. He wasn't there so often, so I think so. it depends, you know, how often you are there together. And then yeah. in the Werkstatt I had a studio with two other people and one was quite chatty. Uh, and then I think a back room came up and then I was like, okay, I'll take that one. It was a small space, but then I uh, was on my own. So then I was like, okay, now I can really spread out. So then it was like, okay. Then I think it's hard to go back once you then have your own space because you can just kind of leave a bit more of a mess. Uh, without feeling like you're disturbing someone else. Mm. But uh, yeah, like I think having a studio anyway, having some space for yourself is just the most important element. And yeah. How big is this one? Maybe 31, 32 meters squared. You obviously store all your art here. Yeah, yeah, basically or everything. Or you have some too. other storage space. So. There's maybe a few things in my mum's house in Ireland, but I took everything from Berlin now and yeah, so basically everything's here. Okay, lastly, uh, but not in importance, uh, what are some other places of inspiration for you, other artists that have impacted you somehow? Of course, there's many, many. Um, what comes to my head now is uh, Mama Anderson, a Swedish painter. I really like her work. Um, She's on Magnus Carlsen Gallery in Stockholm. She also works a lot from old photographs and uh, kind of her work is kind of seeped in history. She's a lovely colour palette, kind of mixing a bit from the Swedish landscape. And I think she did a show in Louisiana as well, in Denmark. Marlene Dumas, uh, I had the pleasure to see her work in Venice last year. Was it last year? Uh, yeah, it was a beautiful painting show. Lovely documentary about her as well, talking about her work and uh, I also just really like her portraits are very evocative and I, f I feel they have a lot of emotional resonance which uh, I would aspire to as well through her colour palette and Nan Golden I just saw in Stockholm as well, the slideshows were amazing. Uh, also I loved her when I was 20 you know and so it's nice to kind of revisit that work again and be like yeah it's still, it's still really powerful. There's lots of Finnish artists uh, that are, I also like Alina Brothers' work. I also saw that in 2004 in London before I ever knew anything about Finland uh, in this work in the gas works in the UK with light boxes. It was really the first images I saw of this midnight sun and like mm. pins in the lake and I don't know, it was very beautiful. And Peter Doig, lovely painter. Um, yeah, many. Many, many. I will list them, uh, I will put them in a some sort of a way yeah. that would be accessible so that 
because to me it's always interesting to 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 uh, to know what what kind of things inspire other artists and yeah i also i was saying before we started that this louisiana channel from the danish museum yeah it's you're the second one who is uh, recommending that yeah. laura also the f our first guest she she yeah. was she was putting that as a as a place to check yeah and this talk art this podcast is quite good as well talk art i have not heard but i will check yeah well jane thank you so much thank you uh, i i could probably continue but i know that you have to go soon so i i'm kind of constantly worried about that it's okay <laughs> it's okay <laughs> it's no problem but yeah very nice to have you here yeah thanks very much <laughs>